evolution.org podcast coming your way episode number 438 today steve Schmee here in the register of ricky rock what's up man hey what's up steve what's up guys how's everybody doing out there so this episode guys we're going to talk about cryptocurrencies we're going to talk about what they are we're going to talk about how to use them to buy steroids online. We're going to talk about why so many sources are using cryptocurrencies. And, you know, this is going to be the show for those of you who have never used cryptocurrencies before. And it's also going to be the show for you of you who have, but just want more information on using them. So cryptocurrencies have actually been around since the 80s, but it wasn't until 2009 when Bitcoin was created by a developer called Satoshi Nakamoto. And we see this with a lot of cryptocurrencies today where the developers are not doxxed. And by doxxed means we don't know their faces. We don't know who they are. We can't look up their LinkedIn account. We can't find out where they live, etc. And we see this a lot with cryptocurrencies that are shit coins, you know, a lot of shit coins out there, these altcoins that are out there. The developers won't dox themselves. Maybe one could be an ex-criminal. Maybe they worked on other projects that failed. Or maybe it's just one of the steps where at some point in the future, they do dox themselves and that causes that crypto to go up in value. So we still, to this day, we're doing this podcast, we don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto is, but still Bitcoin has increased in value so much since 2009 if you invested just a thousand dollars in 2009 if you invested a hundred dollars in 2009 you know you would be you know a multi 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 multi-millionaire there's people actually with cryptos in a wallet that's that are cold stored who have passed away or who have just forgot they even had it who are sitting on millions of dollars. I even read something where there is a wallet out there with billions of dollars in it that hasn't even been open. They haven't even opened their wallet in so long as if they died or they just forgot about it. So it's increased a lot, but they are very, very volatile. So, you know, we're not, we're not one of these, we're not going to sit here and tell you, oh, buy this crypto or sell that crypto or do this, do that. We're not giving you financial advice here. We're just telling you the facts. And the facts are, a lot of these cryptos have gone up a lot in value. You could, you would have been rich if you invested in them years ago. There's also uh, El Salvador recently, um, in 2001, mid 2001, they actually became the first country to accept Bitcoin as legal tender. So um, we're seeing also Cuba is actually also. I believe the second country to do it. And then on the flip side, China in late 2001 declared all cryptocurrency illegal. So let's, let's, you know, let's skip the boring stuff, but I wanted to kind of give you a lay down of what cryptocurrencies, a little bit of a history about what, what they are. So I'm going to bring in Rick. Rick is a, the, the resident geek on this podcast. So Rick, tell us a little bit more about cryptocurrencies and, and all that geeky stuff. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to go through a quick uh, explanation about how blockchain works. And just the way I always uh, approach uh, some of these real complex topics, I break it down to about a simple of, of an explanation that anybody can, can understand. There's definitely always more technical uh, things that go behind my explanations if you want to research further in. But I'm going to give you the real short explanation of the technical side of, of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin specifically, and how they work. So it's called blockchain technology. 
I think all of us have heard of blockchain technology. It's sort of a trending word that everybody has heard or, or maybe even said without understanding what it is. And decentralized, meaning there is not a central computer that manages everything. So let me go over how blockchain works. Blockchain is basically a programming, a whole program, whole app nowadays we call them, that's put together. And that is basically not centralized to any one server or computer. There are no, no backstore keys for it. All of the script, all of the computing script that is used to run a blockchain is available for anyone to look at. Blockchain programming lives in all of the computers of the people that are participating in the blockchain. So if you set up your computer to mine, and I'll get into mining a little bit in, in a few here. If you set up your computer to, to mine, if you open your, your crypto uh, wallet account, you're gonna, your computer's going to have a ledger that lives in the computer at all times. And this ledger gives you every single transaction that every single account has made in, in, the, in this blockchain from the beginning of the blockchain. So the very first transaction is recorded by account number to account number, all the way up to the very latest accounts. This is why Steve was just now saying, hey, there's, there's a wallet that hasn't been opened. Well, how, how would we know that? Well, because every wallet that exists with their balance and how much is in them is in that ledger that lives in everybody's computer. That's how it remains decentralized. The information for all of the Bitcoin transactions exist in the computer of everyone that is participating in Bitcoin, has their wallet in their computer, has their, um, it may be mining and using a computer for mining. And the blockchain programming even though it's not centralized, it keeps the transactions very honest. And the way it does that is that that is that the way it does it is if two people are trying to exchange money, uh, let's say me and Steve are trying to exchange some Bitcoin, uh, give you know, either Steve sending me or I'm sending him, whatever. In order for him and I not to mess the system up, not to hack the system somehow, and give ourselves maybe more coins that we really had or anything like that. When Steve and I request to make a transaction between his wallet and mine's, the blockchain system looks for a third computer to validate the transaction. A third computer that is not related to me and Steve. There's no way of knowing what, which computer will that, that will be. It's called in to verify the transaction. And it's that third computer really that updates the ledger. So let's say I'm sending Steve, you know, Bitcoin, five bucks, whatever. Um, the system needs a third computer to validate it. So, some, so one of these guys that's mining, this is where mining comes in, that is mining Bitcoin that has their computers plugged into the internet all day long powering uh, transactions. That computer come in, will verify how much money I had in my account, verify how much money is in is in Steve's account. Remember, the ledger of who has what is, is, in, is everywhere. And it'll come in, it'll change the numbers on my account to reflect the five being gone. It'll change the numbers in Steve's, Steve's account to verify the increase in transaction. And then that computer itself in the middle will generate a new piece of Bitcoin. So a new, more and newer money becomes available in the blockchain. And it's, it's very intuitive if you think about it, right? If, if at the very beginning of Bitcoin, there were very few people mining, there were very few transactions. And so there were less coins around for people to use, which when there's less of something, its value uh, will tend to be more. Now that everybody's using Bitcoin, I say everybody, but there's a good portion of people and entities in the world using Bitcoin. And there are more transactions going on. Now there are more coins being created at a faster rate. So the fact that the, 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 the bulk of the coins are not really generated or created until there's a lot of transactions going on means a lot of people using it. Um, it's kind of, it's a very, it's part of human psychology and, and the psychology of, of how money works kind of, and so money supply works kind of being built in programmed into the system. So 
two people are sending bits. Here we're using MSD, for example. Um, it, a third computer will validate the transaction. And then when it does that, the ledger in everybody's computer across the whole Bitcoin uh, world, right? Everybody that's got the computer, the, the, the program living in their computer, the wallet, the, the mining, whatever they're doing, they'll get that ledger of everybody's transaction. And then it's so, so basically when, when, when the third computer validates the transaction, the, the money is, the ledger is changed. The ledger is, is changed and edited for everyone. And it updates for everyone. Not quite sure how many times a day it updates, but pretty much every transaction that's ever done is updated. The ledger is updated. And you have in your possession pretty much every account number, how much each account number holds and how they're moving the money around. And that is the way that it, it's decentralized. And that is the way that is unhackable. You just... You can't hack it because you could maybe try to change the ledger, edit the ledger in your computer somehow. But as soon as you plug into the network, the way the coding works, it'll identify that your ledger is not proper and it'll update it to what millions of other computers out there running Bitcoin to what their ledger is. So there's just no way, even if you, even if you edited the ledger for thousands of computers at the same time somehow and plugged them in, they would just get updated to what the real ledger is of these of these transactions of, of where this this bitcoin is and none of it you just it's unhackable and it's uncentralized it's a program that was kind of just just got started and was let out into the into the interwebs and now lives at in the computers of all the people that are participating in the bitcoin that's kind of pretty much how it works it, like i said there is could there be backdoors built into Bitcoin? The programming language and the programming structure that is used to build Bitcoin is available. It's in everyone's computer. Uh, there have already been many thousands of programmers that have gone through the, each line of code line by line to find backdoors, to find a way for the creators to manipulate the, the coin itself. And, it's not there. It's a program that's basically meant to just live in the person's computer that is using the program. And then the program, it's a program that's meant to live in the computer of the people that are participating in the program. And the fact that all of these computers all have, I should say, almost the same authority over the ledger. There's not one uh, computer or program or, or key or password or anything that could be used to, to, to edit the ledger, edit the transactions, edit the, the, the sums in the accounts without updating it, without updating it across the board. There's just no way to do that. That's why it's decentralized. That's why it's unhackable. That's why it's, there's no way to, to fool the system in any way, uh, basically. And, and that is what blockchain is. That is what, that's about the, the most basic understanding I could give you of how, how this blockchain works. It's pretty much a, 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 a real, it's pretty much a, a, it watches over itself. You know, it watches over movements in the ledger. And that's why you'll get stories and, and you'll see this a lot in the news. There's a wallet that three years ago bought this much uh, Shinobu coin or whatever the name of that is, $8,000. And now today's worth five seven five $5.7 billion. I saw this headline the other day. Well, the reason why, you see all these headlines of these wallets and they just say oh, a wallet. It's because if you are participating in that, in that currency, you have the ledger for with every account number, every wallet number, I should say, and the balance as well as every transaction those wallets perform. Uh, but it's not easy to see, or it's not very apparent who the owner of the wallet is. Each wallet might have a, a number, a serial number that's generated when the wallet is created. Not, but but it won't be easily easy to identify who the wallet belongs to. This is this is why, for the most part, Bitcoin remains anonymous because wallets are are easy and free to generate. Some people have have hundreds of wallets that they manage themselves, and it's just easy to generate these wallets, uh, and they're just numbers on on a ledger. 
and you don't have to, nobody has to register their, their name or their identity to create a new wallet. Anybody can just create a new wallet as long as you remember, and you could reopen the same wallet if you, if, as long as you have your, your seed pass, your seed words and everything to reopen your wallet. And that, that's more technical. That's more in the use of, of things once we get into that. But that's about, um, about the best, shortest explanation I can give on, on the complexities of the blockchain for everyone out there to understand. All right. So let's get into how to buy cryptocurrencies. I think that everyone listening to this wants to figure out how to buy them, how to get a hold of them so they can use them to buy steroids. And Rick's going to kind of get into why sources are accepting cryptocurrencies. Um, and even a lot of companies are starting to accept them. It's becoming very mainstream. Um, so you have two different types of exchanges. You have CEX, which is centralized exchanges, and you have DEX, DEX, which is decentralized exchanges. So the thing is, the sources that are uh, selling steroids, they're going to take the bigger cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin, obviously, is the most popular right now, and I don't see that changing. So if you're looking to guy Bitcoins, the easiest thing to do is to go on one of these exchanges, Coinbase, Binance, these types of exchanges are going to be very easy to basically get Bitcoins from because all you have to do is go on their website, either Coinbase or, and then there's, um, there's Newcoin, there's, there's different centralized exchanges. And then you set up an account you verify your information. It may, the first time you do it, it may require you to submit your driver's license to prove who you are. You may even have to take a selfie and submit that. All that good stuff. It's just like opening a bank account. They want to make sure you are who you are. And then after you get that, you would basically take your regular currency, your US dollar, your euro, whatever, and then you're going to basically from your bank account, or even some, some of these exchanges are not allowing you to do it through, you know, uh, pay, PayPal. Some of them do, do PayPal as well. But you can wire money. You can do an ACH. You can use a credit card. You can use a debit card. And you can fund your account. So once you fund your account, you've got U.S. dollars, for example, in that centralized exchange, be it Binance, Coinbase, et cetera. New coin, whatever it happens to be, then from there, you can go ahead and trade and you would basically be buying the Bitcoin. So one of my tips, if you do use Coinbase, is very important to understand this, is you want to go to Coinbase Pro to make the trade because it's cheaper and you're going to get a better price. You really get screwed when you buy or sell cryptos on Coinbase itself. You want to use Coinbase Pro. It's it's cheaper, like I said, and you're going to get the best price. You're not going to pay this uh, as much fees, basically, when you do it. Now, the other way, completely different way to get cryptos, for those of you who don't want to go and open up you know, a crypto account, all that stuff, would be to use one of these decentralized exchanges. And decentralized exchanges those would be in situations where you're trying to buy a crypto that's not on one of these large exchanges yet. So if you want to buy like a shit coin, for example, or you just don't want to open an account with one of these centralized exchanges, you don't believe in it. Some people don't. Then you would just use something like Uniswap or PancakeSwap. And for those, basically, you hook up your wallet. As Rick was mentioning, you have a cold storage wallet. And then you would basically go on the Uniswap and you would use the funds of Ethereum. And then you'd swap out, if you're using Uniswap, you swap out your Ethereum for that shitcoin, whatever that shitcoin is. And if you go on that shitcoin's website, it'll tell you how to, the, uh, the code, basically. So you put in the code and it's going to come up on there and then you can go ahead and swap. Now, here's the bad news if you go this direction. And this is why a lot of small, you know, people who do a small amount of money, it's a big problem, is that you have to pay a flat gas fee 
through Ethereum. So basically you're having to pay someone to mine those coins when you do that swap. And it's kind of, it's very pricey. Um, it's very pricey. Um, anywhere from $80, I've seen up to $400. It just depends on how liquid the coin is. So I highly recommend you don't go that route. I highly recommend you use a centralized exchange. That's just my advice. Um, you save, you're going to save a lot of money when you go that route. Now, once you have the cryptocurrency, you own it. Now you have, you have an address. If you go into your settings, you'll have a list of addresses on each coin. Each coin is going to give you different addresses that are your specific address. So if someone wants to send you money, you give them that address and vice versa. If you're sending money to someone else, you would need their address. So if you if you go in there and you buy $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, and then the source gives you that address of their wallet, then what happens is you put it in, and then you're able to send them the, that $1,000 to buy the steroids from them. So it's really that easy guys i mean it's it's not that complicated but i'm gonna bring in rick on this one rick explain why sources kind of rushed over to use cryptocurrencies to accept payment and and talk a little bit more more about paying these sources well as we know as we stated early earlier um the wallets are pretty much anonymous there are ways that people out there find to fund wallets anonymously or to get money out of the wallets anonymously. So the wallets are pretty much anonymous. And so sources have found this to be a very easy, fast way for them to get paid, which whenever you're involved in black market illegal transactions, moving the money around is, you know, it's, it's just, it's a problem. It comes with the, with the territory. And so many sources have gone to using crypto because of the fact that it's anonymous um and they're and crypto is being used by many people who are um trying to remain anonymous so it was just easier i mean it's incredibly hard impossible for a source to get access to a merchant account to charge a credit card or to get access to um to western union accounts or some of these things and this is what guys were doing in the past, receiving Western unions, money orders, blank money orders in the mail, cash in the mail. These are all very hard, weird ways to, to receive funds from a black market sale. And so sources found cryptocurrency to be much, much easier. It does in a lot of ways put the, the burden on the buyer to go and find a way to put money into their Bitcoin account, into their, their coin, um, whatever crypto coin they're using to put into that account. It's now up to the, up to the buyer to go and do that. But on the end of the buyer, it's probably just as complex or takes just as much time to go into a Western union or MoneyGram and send money overseas or to go buy a blank money order um, and then ship it in the mail or to get cash from an ATM and, and ship it in the mail uh, or to send a, a bank wire payment uh, to some bank account overseas, which is basically the ways that all these sources have, have gotten paid throughout the year or something. I think we all know that if, you, if you're out there listening and you bought some juice at some point, you understand that's kind of how, how it goes. Um, and so... Obviously, uh, the sources make their own lives much, much easier by having their money put into a Bitcoin account. Um, bank, bank accounts, even in some of these far off, far away countries, they have to be reported to their own local government. They have to deal with their own local government on, on taxes and transactions. Uh, Western Union, you always need uh, people with, with an identification to walk into an office. These are all like logistical issues that when cryptocurrency came around, it just became a perfect fit for people trying to transact in, in black market items, illegal items that are, you know, are no nose by the law. And unfortunately, crypto coin is, is used for some, you know, hard, 
narcotics and things that are really kind of hurting people's lives, unfortunately. But right along with those people, us, the steroid users, the guys who are just trying to look better, get healthier, improve the way we look and perform, um, we found a, a home there too. We found a way to actually use cryptocurrency to, to transact. And again, like I was saying earlier, it, it, if, if some guys can figure out how to anonymously fund their cryptos, their crypto accounts, then it, it becomes pretty much an anonymous game where guys are buying their stuff, the sources are getting their money, and besides the ledger being updated with some random account numbers that don't, don't link up to a person, besides that, there is no other record being created of this payment. And that that doesn't happen when you're dealing with Western Union money, gram, bank wires, credit card transactions, things like that. Uh, maybe the closest thing to it is, is cash in the mail. Uh, maybe the closest thing to, to being anonymous. But then there's always a chance of mail getting lost. I think in the last couple of years, we've all had mail get lost. You know, We got tracking numbers from something we bought on Amazon. And next thing you know, the tracking number never resolves to a delivery. <laughs> it just stays in one place. And it could just be you know, some socks or something you order from Amazon and, and it just doesn't fucking make it. So even with something as anonymous as cash in the mail, which a lot of sources are still happy to take, even then you run a, a chance of never getting the, the mail, never getting there or, or the source uh, sending you a picture back of the envelope kind of ripped open and saying, Hey, I got this envelope with a, with a rip on the side. I think the mailman stole our money. What, you know, what are you going to do? So crypto is verifiable that the, that the funds got there. At least you're not going to have an issue with, with theft in the middle of the, of the transaction or some of those things happening. I guess if the source gets paid and never ships or ships you bunk stuff is a different story. That would have happened anyway, no matter how you send the money. <laughs> Even if you went Western Union or cash in the mail, whatever it is, the source. Uh, does you you end up getting you could end up getting screwed just just as likely anyway but yeah cryptocurrency has it's become the thing you know it's really become the thing and a lot of people have money saved up in cryptocurrency because they think it's going to go up in value and they also when you have money in your crypto account it's not like having it under your mattress um where a robber can come in and take it, you know, uh, it's not like having it in a safety deposit box or in a, or in a bank account where the law can come and take it from you if they have, uh, a reason to, and if they have the, and if they have an order by a judge that, that you should, they should take this money. It's not like your home. It's not like your retirement fund. It's not like any of these other places to keep your money that are easily accessible by a government or maybe a, a lawsuit or different things. Um, crypto, you'd have to be willing to give that money over. You would have to log into your account and send that money over to wherever it needs to wherever you want to send it. Nobody can really, there isn't a, 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 way, a good way for a lawsuit or, or anything of, of that nature to just take that money from you. Maybe if, if your wallet, um, if somebody knows your wallet is yours and it exists, they could court order you to go in there and, and send the money or liquidate the funds to pay whatever. But again, you'd have to go in and you yourself comply with that, with that order to do it. So um, it's just, you know, it's just, uh, it's just a good reason why a lot of, uh, a lot of folks are, are saving some of their money in crypto, I guess. And also, uh, um, it's kind of what I have on that, uh, Steve. What else you got? Yeah, so a, a lot of, um, there's a lot of cryptos out there. There's always new ones hitting the market. There's always cryptos being listed on these big centralized exchanges. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about supply, demand. It's all about liquidity. 
obviously, if these cryptos get listed on one of these big centralized exchanges, you'll notice the price of the cryptos usually spike. And that's just because there's more people that now have access to them versus just being on these decentralized markets. So another thing too, with these, these cryptos that Rick didn't mention that gives you an advantage is that a lot of these cryptos are, they have an income system and they have rewards. So basically every time one of the cryptos trade, you actually get your, your number of tokens will actually go up. So if you invested a hundred thousand and you bought a hundred thousand uh, coins of, uh, of a little, you know, alt, alt coin, shit coin, as I call them. And we were talking about like the next day you'll log into your wallet and then you'll be like, wow, I went from a hundred thousand to now I have a hundred thousand, two hundred. And then the next day you have 100,250. So every day you get more and more coins added to your account because of that. So it's just a little reward structure that they do. Also, another thing that I like to see with a lot of these cryptocurrencies burn is burns, where they burn out the, the, um, the coins out of circulation. So that reduces the supply. And the way burns work is they'll basically move a bunch of coins to a wallet that's basically locked. So nobody can ever access that wallet again. And that, and then that would take those coins out of circulation. So those coins can never be sold. So you never have to worry about those coins being sold on the market. So those are things I really like to see when I invest in these cryptos, at least for the long term. Now I do, I do trade them short term. Sometimes I'll trade them over the course of a few hours, sometimes over the course of days, but I do have some cryptos that I like to hold long-term that are more speculative plays. But, you know, I highly recommend that if you, you know, you speculate in these uh, cryptos, a lot of these small cryptos, or even the large ones like Bitcoin, that you only invest money that you're okay uh, the next day waking up and seeing that you lost half your money. Because these are extremely volatile. We see 10, 15% moves within at within in minutes in some cases on these cryptocurrencies some of these small cryptos i've seen them drop 90 percent um doing rig pulls rug pulls so i've actually been in been been fascinated um when uh, some of these cryptocurrency influencers on youtube they'll push a coin and it's obvious that they're being paid to do it so the cryptocurrency market is not regulated the way stocks are and with the stock market, if you pump and dump a stock, like you pump a stock on social media, you go on Twitter and you pump it, you pump it to all your followers. And then during that pump, you're dumping it, you're selling it on top of all your followers. That's illegal. And you could go to jail for 20, 25 years and face millions in fines. And we see guys get busted for that all the time. But with a cryptocurrency space, you can pump and dump all you want and you can be paid to pump these cryptos, if you have 50,000 followers on YouTube, right? And nothing will happen to you because it's not regulated. So what I find fascinating is some of the more legitimate uh, crypto influencers are calling for regulations in the crypto space because over the long term, that, would, that will make cryptos more valuable that there's someone at least regulating these things uh, because we see rug pulls all the time with cryptos. A lot of these shit coins, They'll drop 90, 90, 95% in, in, in two minutes because what happens is the developers will dump everything and leave everyone else holding the bag. So they'll pump it, they'll pump it, they'll pump it, then they'll dump it. And there's one called Squid Game Coin, which um, over the weekend got pumped all the way up to like 2800 per coin, $2,800 per coin. And then it dropped 99% in about two minutes because what happened was you could not sell it. The developers made it. So if you bought the coin, you could not sell the coin. So you're basically stuck with something that you could never sell. So all those people who bought it the whole way up ended up losing everything. So I just think it's fascinating that 
um, so many crypto uh, influencers are calling for regulations because the per the developers ended up walking away with millions of dollars legally. And they're not docs, so it's not like if you lost money, you can go find them and beat the shit out of them. So at least, you know, with some regulations, we can require these coins to dox their developers. So if they pull that type of scam, we at least know who you are. And if you fuck me over, you know, you fuck me out of money, I want to know where you live and I want to know who the fuck you are. You see what I'm saying? Because I'm getting my money back from you. You're not going to fucking use my money to drive a fucking Lamborghini. So I just think that's fascinating. So it'll be interesting to see if we have any sort of regulation uh, that some some sort of regulations that prevent people from basically losing all their money in like two seconds, because that's what's happening um, all the time. We, we hear about rug, rug pulls all the time. So you that's why I say never invest money that you can't afford to lose because it can happen, you know, it's happening all the time with, with these cryptocurrencies. There's so many of them and we don't know the developers. We don't know who they are. They, they haven't doxxed themselves. So they could be running some type of scam and basically walking away with millions and, and you're holding the bag. So be, be very careful with these shit coins, guys. I'm not going to sit here and make a prediction and say cryptocurrencies are going to go up in the future or they're going to go down because, you know, it's the same thing as telling you who's going to win the game. You just end up being looking stupid in the end because you make a bad prediction. But I will say, like I said, I'm invested um, a small amount um, of, uh, of my money, one to two percent of my net worth. I put in some cryptos for the long term. Maybe I'll make money in them. Maybe I'll lose money in them, but I'm not going to worry about it. It's not enough money. But to go and put your life savings, $100,000 that you've worked so hard for for 10 years and just go put it in, in cryptos is just crazy, you know, because uh, it just doesn't make any sense. It's a huge, huge gamble. So, Rick, finish, uh, finish your thoughts on what do you think cryptos are going to do in the future? It's a good question, man. Um, I don't know. I don't know what cryptos are going to do in the future. I do know that the, the basics of it are solid. And what I mean by the basics of it is it's an instrument that can be easily traded between people that can't be influenced by some kind of centralized higher up entity. The biggest danger with crypto is being hacked. A lot of people have been hacked and have lost everything because of a hacker attack and that's something that if you have your money in the bank you don't have to worry about if you have your money in your house you don't have to worry about some some yeah. hacker so let me just yeah let me just jump into that real quick there was a phishing attack recently and and that basically people they e they'll email you or text you a link and they'll say, oh, my God, you have to fix something. Uh, your password is no longer working or something where you click the link and then you put in your information. So then they get your information and they somehow use like a burner phone to get a hold of your phone. I don't really understand it, but that's how people are, are getting a hack. So you yeah, have to I'll, be I'll careful. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how. Yeah. Tell um, me. The, the person who's trying to get get you, right? Uh, the identity thief, they can go through your trash, they can do different things, or they could find your information uh, ac across the internet in different, uh, in different ways, different nets that they use to catch people. I'll, I'll tell you guys about a couple of those here soon, right? And they'll call your, your cell phone company, they'll have your cell phone number, they'll call your cell phone company from an unblocked phone and say, hey, I need to change my phone number over to this phone I'm calling you out of right now. Here's my information, my name, my date of birth, my social security number, my everything. Here's everything I need. Uh, oh, well, we need to verify you via text. No, don't verify, verify me via text to that phone. The screen's broken. I can't use it. Verify me via a different way. Uh, and they'll, they'll get you. They'll get your phone company to send your phone number, your cell phone number away from your phone that's in your pocket over to the thieves unblocked cell phone that they're calling you, calling out of. 
once they have access to your cell phone where they can receive text, confirmation text, they can go in there and change the password on your Google account. Once they change the password on your Google account, on your Facebook account, they can look through your messages and see what banks uh, you have registered your email address with, what email addresses you are, this email address is the the emergency contact or the emergency, you know how you have a second email address to reset another email address. They're able to just see that by by searching the keywords that they need into your, your search bar. And then they'll get into your bank accounts. And when your bank account doesn't recognize their device, it'll try to send a text. They'll get the text. They'll get in there. They'll get into your bank accounts. They'll get into your your Bitcoin. They'll get in everywhere that they can that they can get. They'll usually do this around the time that you're asleep because uh, a lot of these phone companies do offer 24 hour support for something like, hey, my phone screen is broken. I need to change that phone number over to this handheld, uh, unlocked handheld I'm calling you out of right now. Uh, please help. And they'll, they'll do that and they'll, they'll change it over and, and they'll do it at, at night. By the time you wake up, they would have initiated transfers out of your bank accounts. They would have spent your PayPal money. They would have gotten into your Bitcoin, gotten into your Robinhood, pretty much everything. They, they could have just by having, by, by calling your cell phone company with all of your information to switch over. Another thing that they do out there, I don't know if you, you guys are all on social, you'll see uh, a, a, one of these posts that goes viral, like what is the name of your high school and of your first car? And that's going to be your porn star name. You know, they'll, they'll have this shit like, hey, the the name of your of your first car and your this or that, the year of this and that. Well, if you remember, these are all the same security questions that you elect to answer in most of places like bank accounts, websites, email addresses, some of them, they'll have these questions and people are just randomly answering them on their Facebook. So now whomever sets this little trap out there, they have, they can build a file with your name, your your last name, uh, the city you live in, uh, and, and some of the answers to these questions that are very common to pop up in in, in security questions for when you need to change password on an account. So don't ever answer those guys. Don't ever go in public on Facebook answering, telling people what your first car was or the name of your first pet. Or remember, these are all the same questions we've all seen, right? What's your, the, what's, what's the, the, the make of your first car? What is your first pet's name? What is your elementary school name? What, what city is, were you born? What city were you born in? Right. Others they'll, made a name. That yeah, they'll say they'll say like, listen, to, to know what your porn star name is, you need the name of your first pet and the name of the city that you lived in. And it's funny, you know, if you think about it in your head, what's the name of your, of your first pet and the name of the city you were born in? It'll be some outrageous name that'll sound like a porn star. People will answer. They'll think it's funny. Well, you just gave away two of the most popular questions in this in this security um, in the security uh, modules to to help you reset a password when you don't have it. So that's a real easy way to get hacked. As far as phishing, and, and Steve just talked about phishing. Phishing is when they create a web page that looks like an official page for a bank or for Facebook, for anything like that. And then they send you a link they, they, through email or through text. They'll say, here, go here. You need to update this. And then you get there and it's got all the logos. It's got everything. Obviously, if you looked at the URL, the URL will be, will be kind of messed up. It'll maybe say facebook.d42.com. Now, the old URLs, and just remember this. I'll, I'll just say this fast for you to remember it. If you can understand it and remember it, you'll never be fished. If you can't understand it and remember it, then you might be one of the people that get fished. All URLs are built uh, uh, an HTTP something, a www dot something, the main URL name, and then a dot com dot net dot eu dot whatever extension. Now there's dot whatever's. Any website can change the www part. So that little part, www can change. They can put Facebook there if they wish. They can put 
Instagram or Bank of America or whatever, they can add that name there. They can't add it after the second dot. They can't add it as the extension. So that's usually where they'll fool you. They'll, they'll have HTTP, you know, whatever, Facebook or Chase online dot some two or three character URL.com. And if you're, if you're not savvy enough to understand that you could just register a three, four, five letter URL that makes no sense and then put the name of Facebook or any of these trademark names as, as in, in the place of the www dot, uh, you'll get fished because you'll, you'll sit there and say, I'm a smart guy. I'm looks legit. Let me look at the URL. Oh, that's Facebook dot, you know, d2.com. It's Facebook. Let's do it. Let's, let's, let's put, let's put, the, let's put it in. Well, they fucking replace that part. That, that's how they get you when that's how they get people that are even savvy enough to, to try to look at the URL because a lot of times they're doing this on a phone on their browser and they can't even, they won't even look at the URL. So uh, just don't, you know, it's just, a, it's a, the easiest way that people get fished, you know, just don't, don't get, don't get fished. I mean, it's a uh, phishing attacks are, are very common and, and a lot of people lose their wallets, lose their Bitcoin to hackers. This happens even to the most technologically savvy of people. They lose their Bitcoins to, to hackers. And, um, I'm, that's one thing that I'm worried about with Bitcoin personally, uh, in a in a long term sense, is that I might not I might get hacked. You know, I'm online all day. I use my phone. If I use Bitcoin to to save money, like my savings, instead of just just putting it in a bank account, they I might actually get hacked and have all of my money taken the fuck out of there. And I couldn't. There's no one I can complain to. If your if your bank account online gets hacked somehow, and and your your bank account gets drained, and you could come in and complain, and the right factors are in order, your bank might just give you your money back. They might they might they might just they might just give your money back. They might be able to get the money back from whatever account it was wired to. They might just be able to help you out, but you can't. You can't do that if you got hacked and your Bitcoin's gone. There's nobody to complain to. There's nobody to trace. There's nothing you can do about it. So being real savvy, being real intelligent with, with, with your devices, with your computer is very important. Every time you come in and your computer is asking you for username or password to a website that you should be cooking into. If you're on your phone and you are in your, in your Facebook app, and you click on a link that even a friend sends you a link via messenger. And when you get there, it says, oh, to view this content, you have to put in your username and password on Facebook. Um, you already know something's not right because you, you, you cook it in on your phone. Yeah, sometimes you could be cooking it in on the app, but not on the browser. And if you look at the browser version of Facebook, it might it might actually say you need to you need to register in. Well, these are all things that you need to understand and be able to discern the difference between when you're in a browser window and look, looking at the URL, the difference between the official Facebook page and some hacker that created uh, the registered URL in, in some country um, and, and just created a page to look like official Facebook page. And you're going to put in your username and password in there. Like these are all things that you have to be very aware of. Uh, two-step verification. I know some people think two-step verification is quite annoying, but two-step verification where you need to get a code or a number from your text in order to log into some of these some of these email addresses and some of these bank accounts and some of these things. I would I would definitely participate in that and make sure. Well, they have- uh, the centralized exchanges not only have that, Rick. They also have require you to go into an authenticator app. So you have to go. So someone would have to. I mean, you're more tech savvy than me, but I would imagine it would be just about impossible for someone to, you know, get that authenticator app number that changes every 15 seconds. And then also, unless we, they, unless they, unless they, they called your your uh, cell phone company with all of your uh, identifying information and got your cell phone account switched over to a new phone. Then, yeah, that'd be hard to do. But you'd also have to, when you're transferring money to and from a wallet, 
I've noticed as well, they do require you to send a selfie. So they'd have to take a picture of you on top of it. So I would, I would think that they've done everything in their power to make it just about impossible to someone. If you, if you use something like an iPhone or even an Android and they get access to your, to your iTunes, uh, I mean, your, your apps account, your, your cloud account, or if they get access to your Google, to your Gmail, and then by that, they get access to your Google hard drive um, and they can receive texts. There isn't a lot that can, that, that, that can be done if they, if they have a, a, an iPhone from another country that's, that's, not re- that's not locked. And then in that iPhone, they create a copy because they have all of your passwords and they can receive the text They'll basically create a copy of your iPhone using your iCloud backups. Um, and then from there, they could download the identifying app and all of those and all of those things. Uh, uh, and if the identifier app, they don't they don't remember the password for it or whatever, they can just go through the process of getting a new password using the email address, your email address that they're already in, in, inside of and using the text messages on your phone. And they, this usually goes on at night when you're asleep. They, that's when the time where they usually do these attacks of calling your cell phone company, and then they'll spend all the night hours getting into absolutely everywhere that you can get into. And by the time you wake up and your cell phone's not working anymore, you can't make calls out of it. You can't receive calls. By the time you kind of figure out that, that there's something wrong, I mean, you'd have to run to your cell phone carrier office with your identification, then run to your banks, physically go there. To, to stop some of these things from happening, to stop that wire from going out same day, same day wires. It's not easy. You know, it's, it's not an easy situation when they, when they hack your, your cell phone number. It's something you, you need to, you need to be aware of. You should be, it should be a hacker. Is this, uh, is this something? Uh, is this mothers, uh, how many times have you been on Facebook uh, and, and it's asked you some kind of funny question that, if you participated in that thread, you'd be revealing your mother's maiden name. Oh, the city you lived in and your mother's maiden name. Create this. What is what is yours? You don't even need to participate. You can go on anybody's social media and they say right there all, all their information. They say their phone number. They say the city that they're living. You could, they say you all could stuff. the one of the one of the easiest ways to see who's close to and close to who on Facebook is on their birthday thread. You'll see. Who, who their parents are. You can pick up someone's mother's maiden name from just, just seeing their association on Facebook. And maybe some of these older folks, like his mom, might not have his Facebook all blocked where you can't see all pictures, can't see everything. And they'll be able to see some of her interaction with you. Oh, this is his mom, mom, mother's maiden name right there. And they can, you know, if they, if they target you, um, and a lot of nowadays they target specific people. They target them because they get some information on them and, and they say, okay, well, we have these few pieces of information of their information. Let's target them. One thing to do that's pretty important is this make, go to your cell phone company and say, unless I come in in person, none of these changes can be made over the phone. Then you, so just make it so that either you go in there or one or two people you trust in case you're in the hospital and in case you're in a, on a trip out of the country by, by any chance and you can't make it right back that they can go in there in person. but And um, there was a, a whole thing where an employee from one of these phone companies, cell phone companies, was giving thieves people's pins, people's pin that was necessary in order for someone to call in and get some kind of help. The pin or their passwords or anything were actually, were actually out there. We're actually out there, out for the world to see. So those are some things to be, to be aware of. Um, how many of you out there, your bank, your mother's maiden name might not may be the, the password for you to get anything done with your bank? And how easy would it be for anyone to know your mom's maiden name through your interaction on fucking Facebook? So these are all things that you need to be aware of. These are all things you need to be very, very wary of and, and understand. Look, they could... If they get pieces of your information, maybe like your social, and they just know your email address, the main email address you've always used, through that main email address you've always used, they can find your profile on Facebook. And through your profile on Facebook, 
they may just be able to find mom's profile and on her profile be able to find mom's last name. So now they have your email address, they have uh, your 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 social. Maybe sometimes partial information is leaked through some of these companies. You know, a company that could be a let's say you got into collections for some stupid bill. Maybe your bank or or whomever you were dealing with, the large entity would have never leaked your information, but now some collections people and, and some and some little company in some fucking state, they have they have your info, they have your shit. They could leak it. And just having some of your social, that's why uh, getting a service like, like LifeLock or getting a service that allows you to lock your, your social security number in place, that's why those services are, are, worth, are worth the money and are worth spending on them. Because if they're trying to open new lines of credit under your name, if they're trying to, because sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll forge IDs and go get a new line of credit under your name. By the time you figure out what's going on, you're 30, 40, 50K in debt. But if you if you pay one of these services, just like less than 10 bucks a month to say, hey, I'm locking my, my social security unless it's unlocked. They, nobody can open a new account unless you go and unlock your credit, your, your social security, one of these places. You know, there's just a lot of little different knickknacks, keeping different email addresses um, and not forgetting your fucking passwords, keeping different email addresses so that if one of them is compromised, uh, that the thieves can't go in there and see every bank account that you own every, you know, if you have your major bank account, your PayPal, your Robinhood account, your fucking B- a Bitcoin. I mean, you have everything, all of the information for your stuff in one email address and that one email address is compromised. You're kind of, you're kind of screwed. You're kind of fucked at that point. But if you have a couple of email addresses that you don't lose the passwords for that you actually section off all right, well, these email, this email address, this is going to be for, you know, my Best Buy card and my, you know, and my Sears card and, and whatever. This other email address, that's going to be for my bank account. This third email address, that'll be my PayPal. That's only PayPal. And then you, you keep, you know, you keep your password separate and you, and you know, and you don't, you don't fuck up. You know, you don't, every time you're asked to put in your password, you, you go look at the URL you come in and double verify that you're not logged in. You, if PayPal or, or your bank account or one of these places asks you for your password again, um, you could just go right back into the main to the main URL and try to sign in again. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes Google will will ask you for your password out of nowhere. Then you got to look and see if you're on the top right of your browser, see if you're if you're logged in into your Google account to this browser. I mean, really do the, the diligence and don't click on weird fucking links uh, just on anybody's post. Don't answer questions when people just call you out of the blue. Be real careful, real specific about who you give information to and how, because they'll, they'll fuck you up. They'll hack you in a minute, especially this phone thing, you know, with the cell phones. Once, if they can receive through be a text message, all of your cell phone information, you're screwed. You're fucked up. You're done. Pretty much all iPhones can have two phone numbers if you wanted them to, because uh, they have the SIM card, they have internal SIM. So like you, if you just, just knowing, just keeping one phone number, you could do that with your own cell phone that you have now one phone number to receive notifications, messages, two-step login, and then keeping your regular phone number that you maybe give to people on Facebook, or you just deal with on a day-to-day basis it's a good way to make sure that nobody even knows what your phone number is for your for your two-step verifications and so nobody can grab any of your accounts and, and screw you screw you over all right buddy it's a good episode i think you gave a lot of advice um you guys can come on the forum i'm gonna do a link of a sticky where i write out how to use cryptocurrencies to buy steroids. And you can just follow that. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like I was the same way. Like a lot of you are feeling like, I don't want to learn this stuff. It sounds complicated. And I'm, I'm the same way. I hate geeky stuff. Rick is the opposite. He lo- I'm more of a math nerd and Rick is more of a computer geek. So we kind of make up for each other, but even I, like once I figured it out, it, it was over. And Rick mentioned earlier, MoneyGram, Western Union. 
I'll never use that shit again. And they're stupid, you know, MoneyGram and Western Union are stupid because the customer service is such shit and they treat their customers like shit. They're like, they're doing us a favor when we use them. That's how I've always used to, you know, buy steroids from sources. I've always used Western Union or MoneyGram. Or, you know, and then it's a joke. They they treat you like shit. You walk in there and they act like you're a criminal for wanting to, to send money, you know, and it's not their fucking business, you know? So with, with cryptocurrencies, you don't got to worry about that anymore. You can do it from your computer. You can do it from your app and you're done. You're good to go. So learn it, guys. It's not that difficult. You're going to love it. Once you figure it out, you'll never go back to using uh, these companies. And that's why you're seeing Visa and MasterCard. They're getting in on the cryptocurrency thing now because they know that 10 years from now, they might be out of business. Because as Rick knows, and as I know, it's such a pain in the ass having a credit card processor because they make your life a living hell. So why have it, you know, 10 years from now, companies like Rick's are, they're not going to need fucking, you know, a credit card processor that charges them $50 for every charge back and charges them all this shit. They can just use cryptocurrencies, you know, and be good to go. So, I mean, this is, this is definitely, I don't see it stopping. The only problem with cryptocurrencies is what Rick went over, but also the volatility It's just, it's such a volatile uh, currency that you know that's going to keep it from being like more getting to get mainstream quicker so that's the only thing that may may stop it all right guys so this was another episode we hope you guys enjoyed it we'll talk to you guys next week episode 438 take care have a good one steve have a good one guys Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice. Always check with your doctor before taking any drugs or starting any training program.